welcome to another trip down the bourbon road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. We would like to thank our friends at Premium Bar Products for sponsoring this episode. If you're ready to step up your game at your home bar, check out premiumbarproducts.com to choose from their wide selection of glassware, all of which can be custom engraved with your personal message or logo. And there's no minimum order. So after the episode, head over to premiumbarproducts.com and check out everything they have to offer. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim Shannon. And I'm Mike Hyatt. And this is The Bourbon Road. And today, Mike, we are once again, unfortunately... I like your place, but, you know, it's getting kind of old. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. But I got up at 3.30 this morning, went to work, worked a 12-hour shift. It was just to do a recording after that, um, which was a busy day. Uh, I appreciate you coming over here. I know, I know. You, no, you, no, it's not It's not that. I want to <laughs> I want to get out there. Oh, we do need to get out there. I want to get out there yeah. and do what we used to do that we can't oh, do anymore. Oh, well, so Yeah, I, I mean... I'd like to record over your house, though, because <laughs> your wife cooks good. She always has cookies or <laughs> brownies or something. She's like, That's try right. this. I mean, this is a great place. It's a wonderful atmosphere. It's a, it's a great place for us to record. And actually, we have a guest today who will inspire us both to get back out on the road and start seeing some people. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had a live guest in a while, really. It's true. Uh, we have did StreamYard and... Um, we just haven't been on the bourbon road, but actually somebody took the bourbon road and came to us. <laughs> um, so today we have whiskey lore on with us, Drew Hanish. He's uh, been here in Kentucky doing the bourbon trail, been down in Tennessee a little bit. He's doing his thing. We tried to hook up with him before. He's got a podcast. He's got a blog. He's got a Patreon account. He's got it all. Mm-hmm. He's got two podcasts. So he's been rocking it out. All right. Well, and he came bearing bottles. He did. Something that we haven't <laughs> drank on the show before. I don't think we've had any scotch, right? That's right. I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, yeah. Drew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Beautiful, beautiful spot. Nice little drive up. Made me feel at home going through the countryside to get here. You didn't hit any deer, did you? I did not hit any deer. I saw plenty of them on the side of the road, but I didn't hit any one of them. <laughs> Well, it's the rut in Kentucky, you know, like I said before, them deer like teenage boys, they're just going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. Well, Drew, we're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about you and what you do and and but before we do, as usual, we like to get straight to the whiskey. Okay. Perfect. So, and this first one you've brought for us. Yes. So, I would like to turn it over to you and Let's introduce this bottle. Okay. And we'll go through a tasting. So what's interesting about this whiskey is that I I read the label. I don't know how many people, when they buy a whiskey, spend the time reading the marketing stuff that's written on the back of a, of a box. Or a, And scotch usually comes in a box. So you have some kind of literature to read over, whether it's tasting notes or something about the whiskey. And so... 
it was very interesting. This scotch, along with one other scotch called Kubakan, were two that inspired me to do a podcast. And the reason that I was inspired to do a podcast by these two is because both boxes had very interesting stories that I didn't know anything about. And I thought, I got to know more about this story. So the Kubakan was about a, a, a ghost wolf or dog that haunted this little Scottish village. And they had this whole story about how this one of the distillery workers had, had come out one night and he tried to catch it and it just disappeared. Um, so he, he, he didn't, uh, he was unsuccessful with that. And so I wanted to find out more about this legend. This other bottle that we're going to be tasting today is Shackleton whiskey. And you've, you walk into just about any liquor store in the United States, you can find it. It's, uh, me being from North Carolina, Carolina blue, uh, packaging on it. It's got a nautical kind of theme on it. it says Shackleton. I bought it on a whim. I picked up the box. I didn't really read it initially. I just saw that it was $30 a bottle and it was a blended scotch. Maybe this will be pretty good. Let me see what it's like. And so I took the bottle home, pulled out the bottle from the box. It's a beautiful bottle. It's got you know, glass with etching in it and, um, a nice little message on the back. I started reading about this character, Serena Shackleton, and that basically this whiskey had evolved from Serena Shackleton, who was an Antarctic explorer, uh, taking his, uh, ship down to Antarctica in 1902. Seven, I believe was that, that particular journey. And they went down and they were unsuccessful on this particular trip. And they had to leave because of conditions changing, weather conditions changing. And they left a case of whiskey behind in the ice under their camp. And one of those bottles from that, or actually three bottles were found a hundred years later by the New Zealand society that was down there doing um, excavating and, and seeing what else was left there around Sir Ernest Shackleton's campsite. And so they brought these three bottles back to New Zealand, contacted the distillery that made them and said, we have your whiskey and do you want to interact with it in some way or another? Uh, they basically said, do you want this whiskey? And so the master distiller, whose name is Richard Patterson, he's a 50-year master distiller. He works for White Mackay, who's the company that purchased McKinley, which is the original distiller of note or of record for this whiskey. He... Um, he said, yeah, I'm the master distiller and I'd love to check this whiskey out. So he flies down to uh, Antarctica or to New Zealand and they, he says, okay, I'd like to take this whiskey back with me and do some testing on it and see if I can nose it and figure out what it's, what it is, 
um, do a, a chemical analysis on it and also do a tasting and see if I can match it. They said, well, you're going to have to take it with you in handcuffs. So they handcuffed it to him and he took a private jet back to Scotland, could not let the bottles out of his sight. They did the chemical testing. He did the nosing on this whiskey and, and recreated the whiskey. And, um, and then he's, uh, they, they call him, uh, from New Zealand and said, now bring the bottles back. And he said, bring them back. I thought I was going to get to keep these. They said, no, no, anything that comes from Antarctica has to go back to Antarctica. So he had to take them, take them back down there. So I, I read this part of this story on this box and it just intrigued me. So I thought this is another story I got to go chase. So I went ahead and, and contacted uh, the distillery or the uh, company White Mackay, who does Dalmore and some other uh, Fetter Cairn and uh, Jura. So they, they're over a bunch of different, uh, different whiskeys. And so I'd like to see if I could talk with Richard Patterson. And he called me while I was in Miami uh, on, on a trip and said, sure, come on over, you know, and we'll have a, we'll have a chat about this. So I, I went there, recorded the, uh, interview with him. He showed me all of this Sir Ernest Shackleton stuff, which kind of freaked me out because when I went, I said, okay, I'm going to tell the story about this 1907 journey. Come to find out a few years later, Shackleton went back and went through one of the most amazing, uh, survival stories in the history of mankind. And I thought, if I don't tell this story properly, then Richard Patterson and all the people in England who know who Sir Ernest Shackleton are, are not going to be very happy. So I had to really dig in and, and do the study on this. And it was amazing because it gave me two episodes, um, first telling the story of Richard Patterson and how he got this whiskey and matched it, but then also going through and telling the story of this later journey, the uh, uh, that last expedition that um, ended up being such a, a crazy adventure. So um, all, all inspired by me picking up this blue box of whiskey and saying, I wonder what this tastes like. And it's 30 bucks. I wonder if it's any good. And the surprising thing is, is that I think it's actually really good. It's a, uh, it's a malt blend. So it's not like a Dewar's or a Johnny Walker, which have some grain neutral spirit in them. This is a blending of all single malt whiskeys into one, uh, one whiskey. So to try and create a profile that, uh, spoke his story. Yeah. So it was really interesting because one of the things that I assumed about this bottle was that this was a recreation of the whiskey that he found that was a hundred years old. He did do that and you can buy that whiskey. It's about $200 a bottle to get it. And it's a, it's a beautiful packaging where they've um, put the bottle in straw and just like he found it or pulled it out of the, the crate. And, um, and, so if you spend the money, which I haven't done yet, but I, I saw one actually here in Kentucky and I said, oh, I should buy it. I should buy it. But I didn't. <laughs> um, 
I'm that way about buying whiskey. I'll see a price tag and I'll go, do I really? Or I could get four bottles of that for what I'm going to spend on. Yeah. So I think we all do that. (laughs) I think it's a, a, a fitting uh, whiskey to drink on the bourbon road. Not only because uh, the story is great because the endurance got crushed in the ice. Um, and obviously that whiskey, they didn't think it was good enough to take on their hundred, 720 nautical mile trip uh, trying to get to actually civilization. Um, I think it's South Georgia Island. They tried to get to where yeah. there was a whaling station um, and a little bitty lifeboats is how they got there. That That's a feat by itself. Yeah. Um, but they didn't take the whiskey with them. I probably would have took a bottle of whiskey. With me, <laughs> uh, but me and Jim are both sailors. So a sailor's whiskey, I guess for us. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, let's nose this thing. All right. So, so I think the first thing you're going to notice is that you're jumping straight out of the, uh, the bourbon territory into something a lot f- fruitier, probably lighter kind of a, yeah, there ain't no corn in that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say it has that uh, kind of a straw color to it. Mm-hmm. Um, super light. It's 80 proof, which f- for bourbon drinkers, we've talked about that on the show before. You know, most Americans think 90 proof is that's the low end. But if you go across the pond... People over there drink 80 proof. You get a lot of 80 proof. Um, what's interesting is one of my favorite whiskeys is Lafroig. And if you get it in the United States, it's 43%. It's 40% over there. So that was something I found out too when doing the uh, podcast episode I did about Jack Daniels and their um, evolution. I was talking to their chief historian, Nelson Eddy, and he said that uh, I I questioned him because I said, you've been historian there since around 1988 or so. And that's when I had my first Jack Daniels and Jack Daniels back then was at um, 90 proof. And then it went to 86 proof and then it went to 80 proof. And I said, why did they do that? Why did they drop it? And he said, because the rest of the world drinks it at 80 proof and they just wanted to be consistent across the board. And that was the reason that, that they dropped it. But what was interesting too, to that point, he said, but notice that we now have a variety of different, you know, stronger proofed versions that you can get the single barrel and you can get uh the one i'm interested in is that they sell a bottled and bond in duty free and every time i see that i'm like ah, i want to buy that but um i always pack light on my trip so i have nowhere to put it so what you get on that nose Jim? Uh, definitely a fruity nose mike a lighter fruit um a peach no no a pear yeah i think a pear yeah uh, but I'm getting a little hint of like, um, and I'm going to use the wrong word here, sort of a campfo, a little bit of campfo, just a little bit of lightness, mintiness on the nose. That's kind of, uh, um, kind of like a vapor, like a, I don't know. It's hard to say. Very light, very refreshing. I'm getting actually a little, I don't know why I do this, but I get a little bit of uh, unripened banana on this. Mm. I'm always interested in your tasting and nosing <laughs> notes. He, what, what I like about what Mike does is that he 
he comes up with things that aren't normally the things, you know, if you were looking at a, a flavor wheel, it, it's more like I like to try to figure things out. The first time I smelled Maker's Mark, I said I smell toothpaste. I said, I don't know why I smell toothpaste in there. There was some kind of mint I was getting out of it, which was interesting. Uh, I've never seen anybody put mint as a uh, tasting note, but there was something about uh, the combination of the alcohol and that mint that made me think of toothpaste, a bite, a little bit of a bite along with that mint. And so I had to get to toothpaste to be able to move into, oh, okay, that's that's a mint that I'm picking up and it's a bit of the bite of the alcohol. I, I, I think that's the way I want to taste is from my personal experience in life. You know, when you're younger, you get those tastes that come out and I have some weird tastes sometimes. Like the first time my wife made me like a lemon meringue pie and she's like, how does that taste? What's it taste like? And I was like, it tastes like lemon pledge <laughs> um, because I smell lemon pledge and it, that, that knows yeah. is what I would get off of that. And she, she was like, that is so weird. Like when I smell yogurt, I smell paint. Um, uh, that's just me. Yeah. And, you know, I was growing up in the army and painting on boats. I had that smell of, of paint and yogurt has that somewhat of a paint smell to it. So, yeah. Um, but I, try to bring those notes out to especially the the whiskey novice that can can't know stuff off of, of a wheel and they're not going to get that a lot of people say hey i don't get what you two are getting right but whenever i'm saying hey think back to what is a childhood and you know jim one time he's like i smell cedar and i gave him a hard time and i feel bad about it because it was one of the, I, he was like i smell cedar and I, was, and I was like you tell me you go around chewing on cedar stick <laughs> but, yeah but who who chews on leather you know but i hear leather notes all yeah, the time and whiskey tobacco and whiskey or tobacco and milk, yeah and, um, yeah so yeah to each his own i i my tasting notes are mine and you know, I smell a little bit of bana- ripe, unripened banana in there. What I'm talking about is a green banana. You peel it back and you kind of smell a little bit of bitterness. Yeah. yeah. But not a whole lot. And I get that pear you get in two gems just a little bit that like a fresh pear, not an overripened pear. And so I, I pick up a little citrus in it. And because I picked up a little bit of like a, a hint of orange in there, I paired it with Lint's intense orange chocolate. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Man, it yeah. ma- it makes that chocolate just dance in your mouth. It's it's amazing the combination. Well, I'll say cheers to you, Drew. Let's let's taste this. Cheers. cheers. So this is the challenge because. When you're used to drinking, like I got used to drinking scotch. So when I jumped over to bourbon, bourbon was very hard for me because I just felt like I was used to the flavor profile of of scotch and I could pick things out very easily. And bourbon to me was like, it was a different territory. And so I had to really work at trying to figure out what vanilla uh, really did smell like in the whiskey, um, toffee, caramel, those kinds of things and, and pulling those out. Now to me, this has a totally different taste than the nose. Um, this actually to me, like a little bit of cream brulee or something to it. I think it's buttery. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely definitely buttery. buttery. Um, you know, on the nose there, I was starting to get a little bit of like, uh, 
You know how clover's different than grass and that smell? Like if you crush clover in your hand, mm-hmm. it's got that different kind of aroma to it. I didn't want to say this had a grassy nose to it because it really didn't. But I thought, I, I thought, man, it's got that just light hint of clover, which I uh, think is a good thing. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. And as I taste it, um, I get that buttery wash across my tongue. Uh, it nice sort of warming finish on the end there. And, uh, and a, a, a little bit of oak, that yeah, buttery yeah. intenseness kind of comes back on the back of the tongue. And then I start to pick up that clover again. Mm. I'm like, well, and that's on the exhale. Yeah. I'm getting that on the exhale. Yeah. It's, it's fun to really kind of dig into it. And sometimes you can be in a particular mood and, and a flavor jumps out and then you're in another mood and another flavor pops out of it. Um, it's like your mind is open to certain memories at, at certain times and, and at other times it's, it, sure. it kind of blocks them off. So, I mean, I, I struggle at times to pull out flavors when I'm say, if I'm under pressure, if somebody, you know, I, I did not want to do live tastings, uh, on a podcast or on YouTube or anything for a while. It used to bother me going into distilleries and having the distillery manager doing the tasting and then looking at me saying, what do you think? What do you think? Cause I would go, I can't taste under pressure. (laughs) I just, I I can't do it because uh, I don't know if it's my ADD or what, but for some reason I can't get my full focus there. What's interesting is that when I started doing tasting videos, I realized that when I did the video, I would come up with certain tasting notes. And then after I uh, turned the video off and sat back and just took a drink with no pressure on, suddenly all these flavors started jumping at me. It's like, whoa, you know, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Um, so it takes a little relaxing, I think, to sometimes be able to to pull things out. I'm waiting for Jim to tell me some kind of candy. that. He- no, not candy. <laughs> no, I mentioned early on on the nose that I was getting a campho kind of aroma to it. And it's it's so distant. It's so distant that it's not fair for me to say that because I'm getting it. It's there, but um, it's almost as if somebody walked across the room, the far end of the room in a big hall after a little bit of Vicks, Vicks rub on (laughs) and I just, and I'm just carrying, just catching just a hint of that. Nice. Okay. But um, yeah, for me, it's in a good way. Yeah. Both that clover, that just hint of campho, the, the pear, the buttery warmth, the oak on the end. So, so this is where the whiskey lore part will, will come in. How many people I hear say, I don't like scotch because I don't like that smoky aspect to it. You taste any smoke in this? No. Yeah. I don't no. get, I've, every bourbon I've had is more smoky than this right here. Yeah. Um, more oak into it. Um, you know, it's just, this has no, none at all. And actually after I took a sip of water, I took another sip of this and the notes of honey are starting to come out and mm. the sweetness, um, you know, almost like a bite of honey, you know, those little candies I'm talking mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. um, that get stuck in your teeth and you're, 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 <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're going to pull your fillings out. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, that's what I get out of this it, beautiful scotch. I don't get the smokiness and me and Jim are scotch drinkers or whiskey drinkers. 
Um, so I think we both can appreciate that for what it is mm-hmm. and be able to pull those notes out, our notes. Um, and that's the great thing about both of us. And he's a right guy. I'm a weak guy. This mm-hmm. this has neither of those. <laughs> no, I do I do have a bottle of Glendronic that I that I like to go to every now and then. So so what's interesting about Glendronic is that now Brown Foreman owns them. When I went there for my tour, it was the first place I went to where they had an American flag flying over the distillery. I'm in Scotland and there, why am I seeing this American flag? I didn't know that they had been purchased by Brown Foreman at the time. So they, uh, related that to me, but it was, it's interesting because Glendronic is probably the most sherry influenced whiskey. And while I was here in Kentucky, one of the bottles that I bought, which I can't find at home is Glendronic's cask strength. So I'm expecting a sherry bomb out of that, that it will definitely be full of uh, the the plum notes and the, you know, kind of dark fruits that you get out of that. And um, uh, but on a much more intense level than I've tasted before. So Glendronic's my favorite. Um, It's not Speyside. It's a Highland, but it's like right on the edge of of Speyside. So, Drew, let's get to how did you get into podcasting and then into whiskey podcasting. Okay. So what's interesting is I, uh, I've been a web designer for the last 18 years and I have a, a company that, you know, basically I got everybody doing everything that I need to have done. I don't program anymore. I'm more customer service than anything. You know, I'm the CEO that they come to, to be the personality of the company. Other than that, I've got my guys working on doing the development of the sites. So I found myself sitting in the back room trying to find work to do. And I said, what am I doing? What am I not doing in my life that I really wish I was? And I thought, traveling. I absolutely love traveling. So, I mean, I could get a laptop and hit the road and do work from anywhere. Cause all I need is a go to meeting or something like that to be able to have communications anywhere in the world with my clients. So I started taking little trips just to see. And then I decided to go to Europe and see if I could pull off doing a trip to Europe went there for, I did a James Bond, uh, trip. I basically looked up all the different places that, um, James Bond movies had been filmed. And I plotted a trip across Europe to go to as many of those as I possibly could. So did you go to Pisa Gloria? I did not. That is one of the the few places I did. And I love that movie. Yeah. No, that was one of the few places I couldn't go. Um, I went to uh, Soledin, which is where they filmed Spectre up on the mountaintop, which is not far from there. Um, But because of the weather, I wasn't able to get to Piz Gloria. So that is on my list. Yes. Uh, But I have not gotten there yet. Another one is um, uh, Goldfinger, where... um, uh, now I've forgotten the name of the stretch of the road, but it's in Switzerland and it's really tough to get to 
except in the middle of the summer when everybody's driving it. But it's the part where uh, they're looking down this zigzag road down to the bottom and the girl sniper up above is, is shooting over his head. So that's one of those places I really want to go. I haven't been either. But um, so I do this whole planning out of this trip and I thought I need to do a blog about this. And so I started a blog called Travel Fuels Life. The idea behind that name was that that was kind of an expression of who I was, that to me, travel fuels my life. And so I'm going to start traveling and writing about all the different places that I go. Well, that soon evolved into a friend kept nudging me saying, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. You used to be in radio. And I was petrified of doing a podcast. I, I thought I'm going to get in front of a microphone. I'm just going to stumble all over myself. Why would I do that? I just don't feel uh, confident with that. And doing interviews, I've never done interviews before. So I don't really know how I'm going to pull that off. And so just finally one day, I I said, just do it. You know, it, it, if you fail at it, you fail at it. Just see what you can can do. I, I have a radio background, so I should know how to be able to buy equipment and do that that sort of stuff. And I know how to present. So, I mean, I at least got that out of the way. It's the perfectionist in me. There's a part of me that wants to get it right the first time I do it. And so that was a struggle for me. But I ended up um, getting in contact with a couple of people doing interviews through go to meeting was basically how I was doing it. Did a, a couple of in-person, uh, interviews, basically talking to people about how they live a travel lifestyle and trying to get tips and ideas on how to do it. And so I did that for a full year. And then at the same time, I had gotten together with a group of friends who were um, really into, uh, well, one friend was really into drinking scotch and another friend who was into to bourbon. And they said, well, buy a couple of bottles of whiskey, come on up. We'll all bring three bottles, bring a low price, a mid price and a high price whiskey. And we'll sit here and we'll taste among us. And so... I said, I don't know, because I had a bad experience with uh, whiskey when I was younger. I'm a beer drinker. I just don't know about this, whether I should try this or not. And then that first day walking into a liquor store looking for whiskey, I was at the mercy of the marketing departments. You know, which bottle looked the best? Which name did I recognize? There was really no knowledge in my head between scotch or uh, or bourbon what I should buy. So my first purchase was for that event was Glenfiddich uh, 12 because I love the bottle. It's a, a triangle shaped bottle. So that was my whole reason for buying that one was because of the marketing department's packaging. Uh, the, uh, another one that I got was, um, oh man, I'm, I'm forgetting actually now what, what, if I brought a bourbon or not, I brought a Canadian whiskey. I got caribou crossing, which looks, uh, has it's, oh, you got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, having been born in Michigan, I have this thing about, I wanted to, I always hear people talking down Canadian whiskey. So I said, you know what? I'm going to 
challenge people. I'm going to bring a Canadian whiskey and see if I can, I can pull this. I remember what the third bottle was. The third bottle was Johnny Walker black because my friend said, who is a Scotch drinker said, I only drink single malt whiskeys, you know, nose up in the air kind of thing. And, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to find a blend and see if I can, uh, fool him into liking a blend. So that was my first experience actually picked some pretty decent whiskeys to get started with on that tasting theirs was interesting but i walked out of there going oh they all tasted like whiskey i can't really tell you know one from the other so we did another tasting uh, a few weeks later and um i felt like i was getting a little more out of it but we were all sitting here talking about whiskey like we knew what we were talking about but none of us really did and so i remember saying bourbon i think it's limestone water from kentucky and it's uh you know it it, it can only be made in kentucky and so i said no i need to know more about this so i thought well i'm doing this travel podcast why don't i just travel to kentucky I can write blog posts about it and I will immerse myself in bourbon for a week. So for eight days, I planned out 19 different distilleries to go to, um, 17 in Kentucky, two in Tennessee, and just immersed myself in it. And it was so interesting. I video uh, recorded myself at each place I went to. What am I learning here? You know, what was this experience like? I started with Maker's Mark, which was a great first distillery to go to because I felt like I got a you know good amount of um, exposure to uh, finishing because you, you get to see the, you know, 46 barrel with the slats in it and you get to um, see pretty much the whole process, taste the sour mash, uh, do all of that. So, uh, but then I went to Wilderness Trail was my second one. So talk about a complete shift. Now, all of a sudden, I'm into the science of whiskey. And then my third one on that same day was Town Branch, which was doing pot still, you know, Scottish style uh, whiskey. And after that first day, I remember going, this is amazing. You know, my friends were like, you're going to 19 distilleries. You're going to be bored to death hearing the same thing over and over and over. And I got to tell you, after 19 distilleries, I was ready to plan my next trip because every distillery was different and it was finding those little unique things about that distillery that made those bottles so much more interesting when you walked into the liquor store and said, what do I want to buy today? Now I've been to Maker's Mark. I know about that bottle, why it's shaped the way it is, you know, why there's wax on the top of the, of the bottle, how they make it. And then, you know, wilderness trail, we didn't have any around us, but then you think, you know, if somebody is posting that on online, I can tell them, you know, Hey, here's what I thought was really cool about that particular, um, distillery or for my scotch friends. I go, if you go to Kentucky, you're driving through Lexington, you should go to town branch because that's the closest you're going to see to what a scotch distillery looks like because they do the exact same process that they do over in scotland and so um so it's just it was just a real eye-opener so i wrote all a, a blog post for every distillery that i went to and um and after doing that i said i gotta i gotta do this in scotland 
So I planned a trip to Scotland and I did the same thing. I learned how to drive on the left-hand side of the road, uh, took my life into my own hands, planned out all these little distilleries to go to. And I just fell in love with touring distilleries and hearing stories. Every distillery had stories. They were interesting. Sometimes they would contradict each other. Um, you know, one of the things when I go through the, um, distilleries in, um, Scotland is they talk about the Cooper's union. There was a Cooper's union in the United States that forced single use barrels. They basically lobbied Congress to get single use barrels for American bourbon when they wrote the law, but you don't hear that anywhere. I've never heard that in any U S distillery, but every distillery you go to in Scotland, they have that story. And it made me go, is it, is that true? So I started, started researching it. And that's when I got the idea that, you know, all of these little mysteries that we have, it would be fun to tell the stories of them. Like how did bottled and bond come about? And so I would start researching and I'm like, wow, this is really an interesting story. I got to tell this story. I got to get this out so that I help people who are like me, who started out spouting off a bunch of stuff that we heard secondhand that may or may not be true. We, we find out whether that actually is true or not. Or maybe we find out like with Elijah Craig that we'll probably never know whether, you know, he had a mysterious fire in his um, building that only burned the inside of his barrel for some reason. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I tell our listeners, uh, if you were taking a long trip and uh, me and Jim have both been on those cross country trips driving before whiskey lures, that kind of podcast, it's almost to me like listening to a Louis Lamore book on tape. Mm. Um, nice relaxing trip. You almost don't want to get out of your vehicle to stop, get gas or go to the bathroom or anything. Hey, we could drive 30 more miles down the road so we could get the next episode finished um, at that's what I like about your podcast is that you are digging into those bourbon truths. I would call them mm -hmm. um, that backstory that me and Jim always crave those inside little mysteries of was Weller really the first weeded bourbon um, did makers mark come from Wellers. You know, those kind of stories to me are fascinating. Um, you know, you said you went to the Samuels yeah, old distillery, which is the T.W. Samuels distillery, right? Which is really the family that started Maker's Mark. People, some people don't know that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's the stuff that I think me and Jim find so fascinating. Yeah, and I think you know, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, all of our listeners out there listening to you talk about your travels and you're just you're living their dream. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. How many how many of our listeners would love to be just traveling the globe? And visiting distilleries and tasting whiskeys. And <laughs> well, anyway, I'm really enjoying this. Oh, good. Thank you so much for yeah. bringing this. Yeah. Uh, um, I think we'll continue sipping on what we have. We're going to take a short break. Okay. When we come back, we have a bottle for you. I'd like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, 
is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at logheadshomecenter.com. And while you're at it, give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. Hey listeners, we're back uh, with Whiskey Lore, Drew here, and uh, Drew, so what we got for you, it's a bottle I've had on the shelf, I don't pull it out for everybody, it's in a nice wooden carved box over there, it's from Angel's Envy, they release it once a year, it's their cast strength from 2019, you see I haven't drank a whole lot out of the bottle, and I've seen Jim's eyes light up (laughs) when I pulled it out, because, but Jim could... Truth be told, Jim could come over here anytime he wants and pull out of anything. It, maybe a couple unopened bottles I have closed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got here before you today, and Viv invited me in the house, and and uh, and she said, "Just make yourself at home," you know. And I went straight over and got a pour your Iron Root Harbinger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's a good one to get right yeah. there. Is that the one fifteen? <laughs> I think that is the 115 up there. Okay. The chef. I have a, yeah. a, I have a, a couple of bottles of that. Uh, yeah. If I see a bottle, I, I don't know. I got a bad habit about trying to buy more of it because I'm afraid it's going to run out. Yeah, or they're going to create something different. And, you know, <laughs> when something's good, like Henry McKenna, ten year, you want to get it, and you got to have a couple extra bottles, right, Jim? That's yeah, right. yeah. I, this is a bottle that I it's I keep in a wooden box over there. I have some other wood carved stuff like a rum case over there i guess bottle case from haiti and i have some other wood carvings over there and some wood ducks and i set it over there and i kind of forget about it because it just kind of sits back mm-hmm. in that shelf um but this is 122.4 proof um it run about 199 dollars i think they only had about 1400 bottles of this wow so um i would call this this was probably my first big boy whiskey bottle right here i'd ever bought um I felt super sick about buying it. <laughs> I get that. Um, I get that. But I bought it, and um, I, it's it's it comes out for special occasions or for good friends. And I appreciate you coming out here to Jeff the Ben Farm with us and sitting down with some fellow podcasters and just talking about whiskey. Oh, it's you know? great. I appreciate you inviting me out. And uh, and actually, I've only tried one Angel Envy, which is the regular version of this versus the. Uh, uh, cast strength version so this will be interesting this is the port wine finish it's just okay. cast strength you know it, and they kind of pioneered that that whole f- port wine finished bourbon deal in fact you know that was their that was their flagship brand was the mm, finished bourbon whiskey. sure and you know there's been a lot of uh a lot of people who 
you know, say that's not really bourbon. Well, you know, according to the law, it's not, but it is bourbon finished in port wine barrels. Yeah. Well, that's, and I think that's the trick is that you, it's how you state it. So if you say it is a bourbon finished in, then you are being, you know, truthful about it. We were were talking about earlier, uh, before we started recording about Tennessee whiskey and Jack Daniels and how people will say, oh, overseas, they'll call it bourbon. And I remember being a James Bond fan, the first time M pours and says, uh, well, I, I like bourbon. And she starts pouring a Jack Daniels. I'm like, come on. But, <laughs> but it's funny that I've mellowed on that over, over time now. And it's, I, I now say, you know, it is bourbon, but it goes through another step. There's one extra step that they throw into it. And uh, we were talking about Evan Williams bottled in bond that it goes through that extra step too. It just goes through it at a different Different point in the point. process. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We could all say, agree on this, right? It's whiskey. It's whiskey. It's definitely whiskey. It is whiskey. And, you know, it's released under a different category. So they do have control of that. But you just have to be a wise consumer. You yeah. need to, like yeah. you said earlier in the first half, you got to read that label. Yeah. Well, and then my other question that I, I've run into, the more that I've started experiencing some of this more creativity in in making bourbons or, or whiskeys is should a distiller always keep themselves to the rule or should they go outside and not be afraid to release something that they just call whiskey and not have to put bourbon on it because they really want to try something and see if it works. And yeah, it breaks a little rule here. Let's just put whiskey on it and see if we can, uh, you know, see, do something different to challenge people's idea of what whiskey from Kentucky could be or, you know, that, that sort of thing. I, I think the only reason why that doesn't happen is because you have – the stigma I think that comes with stuff like early times. If you go buy a bottle of early times, it is called Kentucky whiskey uh, because it's been put in a used barrel instead of being put into a, a fresh charred oak barrel. So, you know, maybe that's what they're worried about is that you don't want to just put whiskey on it because people will think it's not good enough to be bourbon. But could you not make something with whiskey on it that could outdo a bourbon just by doing something a little extra? I'm not talking about doing the moonshine route where they're putting artificial flavors in and doing that sort of thing. But a natural process that just kind of enhances that whiskey and make whiskey have a good name again from from that standpoint. That now, there it, are some American whiskeys that hold just quite honestly i think blow you away you know uh, uh old carter has a great american whiskey mm-hmm. it's 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 hot i mean it's hot yeah but it's really good uh, mictors has a great american whiskey so mm-hmm. there are some people putting some american whiskeys out that are uh that get your attention yeah and and let's to be honest lincoln henderson and wes they went outside the box here and not that they were the first to do it but I think they were the first successful yeah. at it. And 
They've introduced a lot of people into bourbon because of this bottle right here. Not the cast strength, but the regular bottle. It's a beautiful, sleek bottle, it, um, and it's a port finish. So it might be more appeasing to a wine drinker to, to taste some of this before I dip my toes all the way into <laughs> a bourbon bottle. Well, I'll um, tell you who else that could probably help cross over is the scotch drinker. Because Scotch really started experimenting around the late latter end of the 20th century into the 21st century with doing finishing on different whiskeys. Uh, and click, we talk about Glendronic. Glendronic was one of those distilleries that was early on. Glenmorangie, they did the same thing of of introducing these different barrels to finish a whiskey. And if you're used to those notes that you get from that in a scotch and then you move over and you try to experiment with bourbon the best place to start would be with something like an angel's envy that has that same character that you have been pulling out of your scotch that's now starting to show up in bourbon sure absolutely i agree well i'll say let's uh nose this thing let's get to the whiskey all right sounds good now i'd like to say that this right here is a dark, almost ruby amber. Mm. Um, not a scotch color. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely not. Although when you when you start getting the cast strength ones that are finished in like Oloroso sherry barrels, you'll start uh, you'll start seeing those darker colors. But yeah, if you see a dark scotch, it's usually got colorant. Of and some to be form. fair, this is forty proof points higher. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is very true. It's got that floral nose on it. Yeah. Super floral. Very, uh, very sweet. Uh, very rich. Um, it's got, it's got that, uh, that, that dark plum. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Plum raisin. And see, after uh, nosing a, a scotch, I get, I get the vanilla and the caramel notes, right? right off of it almost instantly because it's it's light it's not a it's not a strong um in in either of those two but it's there and kind of pick it up now jim you're gonna laugh at me a little bit here Why? <laughs> i'm actually getting a little bit of prune juice off this oh okay that's good yeah you know when i was a little kid you know my grandmother might have a little bit of uh Stomach issues. Yeah. You know, uh, people of her age, they would drink prune juice back then. I almost said stewed plums, but <laughs> I didn't say it because I never had stewed plums. I, I can just visualize them in, in my mind, you know, that, what they might be like. That doesn't sound too good. <laughs> well, let's taste this thing. All right. Pow. A little bit of pow. Yeah. That hits right home, right? Yeah, it does. It's rich. It it feels a little thin towards the, the finish, but it what's interesting is there's almost like a berry kind of thing coming on the finish. It just lingers on on the tongue like a, a maybe a raspberry kind of a yeah, so it's really kind of a, it's um, concentrated, very concentrated flavor. Yeah, um, 
Not, okay. not just a hint of it, but very concentrated. This is a note I always pull out of um, that. I seem to be the only one that pulls out of whiskey, but I get a Swiss cheese note <laughs> on the very finish. And I don't know what it is. I think it's from the oils or something that maybe reminds me of Swiss cheese, but uh, there's just like a little Swiss cheese note in there. On the I mean, finish. You said berries on this. Um, there's a berry cereal, like a <laughs> not fruity pebbles, maybe. I don't know. It's just that there's a there is a berry cereal. I can't. It's on the tip yeah. of my tongue. Well, there's like raspberries, blackberries. I I I seem to be getting a little bit of. It's yeah. just uh, yeah. That that's uh, got some punch to it. It does. But it's it's some older whiskey in there because I'm getting that that leathery, you know, uh, oak that that older oak flavor on the back. I don't think this is just their normal. You think that? Well, is it a single barrel? I don't think so. No, nah, it's really not single barrel. That. Okay. I get like a I get a baking spice of some form on the nose too. I like to say I'm still learning. I get, I, I, I conquer a flavor every once in a while. And then I'm like, yes. Yeah. It's like three by five cards. Every time we drink a whiskey, every time we eat a meal, every time we have a snack or visit a new kind of food, we file away one more three by five card. Oh, nice. With a little bit of knowledge on it. And we're going to pull that out one day when we taste the whiskey. <laughs> well, I think that the way that I do it that really helps me out is I do comparisons. I never just taste one in isolation. I try to put two that are, if I'm doing an Irish whiskey, I'll put another Irish whiskey with it. Or, um, you know, if I'm doing a rye, I'll try to fit another rye. And in fact, I've struggled with rye in trying to figure out what the differences are in the different types of rye. Uh, Rittenhouse is the one I usually have in my cabinet. And I've been happy enough with that, but I've brought some Sazerac home and I tasted it and I went, Yo, this is very different. I had Knob Creek Rye. I didn't like it. I actually made it into an infinity bottle because it mm -hmm. just didn't, it was too sweet for me. I've had Canadian Rye. So it wasn't until I put three Rye next to each other. One was uh, Pendleton 1910, which is a 12 year Canadian versus, um, uh, was it Rittenhouse? Yeah, Rittenhouse and Sazerac. And they were all so different. Mm -hmm. from each other yeah they are i mean uh, but still to try to pick out you know and label one i could say one's maybe a little more herbally um but i'm trying to find what those adjectives are that i'm looking for to describe one rye flavor from the next now when i did the 291 that rye was like I could taste caraway seeds. I felt like I was eating rye bread. I mean, it was so heavy with rye and the bourbon tasted like rye to me. Whatever they're using for their rye is really dominant because it just seems to take over whatever it's in. You're talking about the berries and I was thinking about what that berry taste was. Yeah. And uh, Captain Crunch actually has a crunch berry. Uh, okay. And just that little bit of cereal note plus that berry sweetness and stuff yeah this cast strength has to it um i know people get weirded out when i bring out some cereal notes and stuff but, <laughs> hey i love your cereal notes <laughs> i mean because if that if that's what it takes to get you to 
what ultimately it is. I think that's uh, I, I, that's how I try to help people when I'm going through a tasting is I say, it's your experience, whatever you, I, I had one that tasted like Nutter Butter to me and I love Nutter Butter's favorite cookie in the world. And if it tastes like Nutter Butter's, it sold me because. It's it, been Noah's Mill. Noah's Mill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was. But it was, so you get well, that uh, Noah's Mill? I do. Oh, yeah. I would say Nutter Butter will be something from Heaven Hill, right? Because it's that nutty taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. I don't know. And it, it's, his own. it's funny you brought up uh, Heaven, uh, or um, Henry McKenna 10. Um, I, I had it in two different places. I had it in uh, Nevada, at Lake Tahoe. Tasted it there. Loved it. Just savored that whole glass that I had. Then I had it at Bardstown Bourbon Company, loved it, savored it. I was like, this is a, a lot of vanilla. It was the first whiskey I ever really picked vanilla out and said, yes, that's, that's vanilla. Um, I bought a bottle and I have a bottle. I had a bottle of the cheap Henry McKenna. Okay. Yeah. And the I brown label. Yes. And I tasted, I, I was like, this Henry McKenna 10 I have is so bad uh, versus what I've expected it to be. I mean, it was a competent whiskey, but it just wasn't what I was expecting. And I actually did a blind tasting of the two with each other. Tasted like the same whiskey. Really? I, I don't know what happened, but for some reason that, and I think it's down to single barrel. Maybe I just got a barrel that wasn't a great barrel. And a lot of people have said that about Henry McKenna tenure. And I've and I've heard people say that about Eagle Rare, um, the same thing. And maybe it does come down to that single barrel and, you know, they just got to put it in a barrel. But you'd think well, at the distillery, they're tasting, tasting those barrels. Yeah. would be like, mm, you know, this ain't going to make the cut for that. So we're going to push this aside. This is going to go in that 300 barrel batch. Yeah. 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 This yeah. is going to go in the brown label. Right. Because <laughs> it's just not but there. I, I, you know, they, they're human. They miss a few, I think, maybe. Um, but yeah, I've heard the same thing. Henry McKenna. I mean, nine times out of 10, you're going to get a great bottle, I think. Yeah. Every, every now and then you're going to get that one. You're just. The same thing with uh, single barrel uh, Evan Williams. I actually started buying the bottled in bond regularly now because if you buy the single barrel, man, you can, when you get a good one, it's really good. But when you get one that's not quite there, then it's, you wish you'd have bought the bottled in bond. It's just, uh, it's, it's interesting how uh, I, I feel like there is a consistency issue with Heaven Hill single barrel whiskeys that's the impression i'm getting i don't know if it's true or not because i'm not drinking enough of it to be able to pull that out but uh it does make you wonder after you've had you know two incidents very close to each other with the same distiller where the single barrels let you down um uh, on a particular one so well in addition to traveling the world and visiting distilleries uh, you've also taken time to to write a little bit of that down and and to put out a book. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So I was writing all of these different blog posts about different distilleries that I was visiting, 
But they were basically me just kind of running off at the mouth and saying, here's what I experienced here, bullet points on different things. And it it really wasn't organized in any specific way. And I looked out there to see if there were bourbon travel books and I found some, but they were, again, they weren't really organized to help you figure out which distilleries should I put on my list? If I am coming from California and this is my only trip I'm ever going to be able to take to bourbon country, how do I pick out which distilleries that I'm going to go to? So what I wanted to do was I wanted to give my own experience in this and say, here are 32 different distilleries that I went to. I'll take all this blog post information I have. I will condense it down and I will put it into a format where you can compare every distillery side by side, the experience that I had, my top three reasons to go to this particular distillery, my top three reasons to go to this particular distillery, uh, how to get there, what you're going to taste, or at least what I tasted when I went there, uh, what kind of freebies you might get. Are you going to get a Glencairn tasting glass when you get there? Are you going to get, uh, you know, maybe some extra sample of this or that? Um, and I thought that'd be really good information for people to just be able to flip through and find that and then be able to easily get to the website, to the page they need to go to. Because the struggle I had in planning out my first trip is that I don't know how many times I entered my birth date into a website just to be able to find out what their hours are. And then I click that little box that says, remember me. And then the next time I come back, that box would pop up again. They don't remember you. Yeah, nobody remembers me. <laughs> I'm, I, I have that kind of face, I think. I don't know. But for some reason, it just it annoyed me. And it made the job so much harder. Plus, when you look at that website for any distillery, there's beautiful pictures. There's what they want to tell you they're about. But you really have no way to compare apples to apples. What's this distillery experience going to be like versus what this distillery is? So, like, if somebody wants to learn about the process... When they read my page about Wilderness Trail, they're going to go, oh, they're about the science of whiskey. They're going to take me through the process. I'm going to see that there. Let me check that off and say maybe that's one of the distilleries I want to go to. Uh, if you're interested in um, you know, the marketing side of things or you're just really into um, uh, like Maker's Mark and you want to read what am I going to experience when I'm on that tour? What are the sorts of things I'm going to see? Then I wanted to give enough detail on that, that somebody could say, wow, okay, I am going to give you, I could dip my own bottle. Here's how much it's going to cost for me to dip my own bottle when I get to the end. And here's some of the things that I'm going to see along the way so that you could really craft the perfect trip for yourself when you go. And, um, that's the last half of the book. The first half of the book is first teaching you a little bit about the history of whiskey. So you have a baseline knowledge about the history of whiskey, the baseline process of whiskey. And my goal with the book is not to give the tours away. You can jump on YouTube and you can watch all the videos you want to of people who have videotaped when they've walked through uh, or recorded on their phones. 
um, of their journey through a distillery. But to me, the joy of going to the distillery is discovering it for yourself. So I want to give just enough information for you to make an informed decision about what distillery you're going to go to, but I don't want to give away all the secrets. In fact, one of the things I do in there is I say what to look for. And I give a tip on something to keep your eye out for or to listen for on the tour that's unique to that distillery as just kind of like an Easter egg to go hunt for. Um, when you go to Angel's Envy, we're tasting Angel's Envy. It was an old warehouse that was a tool warehouse. And there's some elements of that tool warehouse getting that into somebody's head when they're looking around that distillery now, they're not only just listening to the guide taking them through and telling them the specifics about the the distillery they want to tell them, but they're getting to see some extra things or look out for extra things that they wouldn't really have noticed probably right off the bat. So it kind of and builds what's in the, the title of the book. So it's called Whiskey Lore's Travel Guide to Experiencing Kentucky Bourbon, but it says experiencing Kentucky Bourbon pretty pretty large on there. It's on Amazon. And so if you do a search for Kentucky travel guides, it comes up in there or just type in whiskey lore and it comes up uh, that way as well. Well, Drew, you gave both of us a book. I think it's fascinating because I'm going to find out some different stuff that I might not have seen. My question for you is you have a podcast, a whiskey podcast, you've written a book, super successful man. So what would you say the top three distillers? If somebody had to pick, because people are always asking us, right? Hey, Mike, what distillers would you go see? And I'm, I'm a different cat than most. I'm gonna want to look for different stuff than most people would go to. So if you had to tell people they only could pick three distilleries to go to, they're limited on that. Where would you go? So I I get this question. Uh, I actually did a blog post called uh, the top 10, my top 10 favorite whiskey distilleries uh, that's on my whiskey-lore.com page. Um, but this is what I tell people. It's the same as with a whiskey. There, as you say, you have certain things that you're looking for that you're going to be interested in that somebody else may not be interested in. Uh, or that you'll that you'll really get more joy out of seeing this or that out of. And so when I get to my number three choice, it's going to fit that particular line of thinking. I will say that if there is one distillery, if you had only one distillery to be able to see the whole time you're in Kentucky and you wanted to get a whole view of what Kentucky bourbon is from the beginning of the process to the end of the process, I would say go to Old Forester because the Old Forester distillery has the history and it has the process. It's very visual. I was very impressed with the way that you you really could go in and just read the boards while you're walking through and it's very clear and concise. They have gone into a distillery location that they were in when they started. They went off a whiskey row for a long time and they rebuilt in the same spot they used to be in. We're talking about a building that is not that large in, ter in terms of footprint, yet it has more things in it than any other distillery that you can see as a visitor. Uh, and, and it's mainly because you can see bottling there. 
and a lot of distilleries you don't get to see bottling and you can see a barrel being fired there and that's not something you can see at any distillery in Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky Cooperage is probably your best bet as a tourist to go see, and they're shut down right now. Actually, Old Forster may be shut down at this point too, because they're in downtown Louisville. But um, but you see everything in that one little compact um, building. It's in Louisville, so it's an easy place to get to. Two blocks from your hotel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So to me, if somebody said, "Just give me one." to go to, which one do I go to? I think Old Forester is probably uh, the one that I, I would put up at the top. My, my second favorite, and it's a specific tour to go on, it's not on the Bourbon Trail, um, but it is a large distillery, and that is the Barton 1792 tour. And you have to sign up for it online, but it, and it only runs once a day. It's the estate tour. It, it runs at 11 o'clock and uh, the tour guide, Rick, the day I was there, he said, I remember him saying how much time he got. And I thought, well, this is cool. I mean, he's, he's basically saying this is going to go on as long as you really want it to go on and we'll go see every bit of this distillery. Now, funny story to go along with that is that the day that I went the Barton 1792. Um, we saw the fire marshal driving around and we were standing in the warehouse and I, I said, is it normal to have the fire marshal driving around the whiskey distillery? He said, no, not really. And, uh, somebody came over to him about halfway through the tour and whispered something to him. And he said, after they left, he said, well, Unfortunately, we can't take you everywhere in the distillery. Uh, I can't tell you why, but we just right now, we just can't take you everywhere in the distillery where we're going to go to. You'll still get to see the world's largest bourbon barrel and have your picture taken with it. We'll still go in the bottling hall and all that, uh, but, but we just can't d- do the whole thing. It wasn't until my next tour when I went to Willet uh, and I was there and somebody said, did you hear what happened over at, at Barton's? I said, no. They said, oh, a warehouse collapsed. I was there the day that I was on the tour <laughs> when, wow. the, when that warehouse came down. But, um, but that, that was a great tour. I felt so bad too, when I heard that, cause I thought that was such a great tour and, um, and, and such nice people. And you don't want to see that happen to, uh, to, to somebody like that. But that was a, um, you, you leave with a little bunghole, uh, stopper and they stamp it with a date. So that's how I can prove I was there the day that the, the warehouse collapsed because the, uh, they gave me the, the bunghole stopper when I went in there. But so before you get on to your, your last one, um, some of our listeners might be wondering and they might've picked up on this, that that's not part of the Kentucky bourbon trail. And neither is Buffalo Trace. And I just wanted to kind of point that out. Right. That Sazerac doesn't belong to the Kentucky Distillers Association because they wanted money from them. Right. Uh, And they do free tours. And they do free tours. So this great tour that I went on didn't cost me a a penny. And the same with Buffalo Trace. I've done that tour, you know, two, three times. And uh, you get to do a tasting at the end. It's a nice tasting. They don't 
take any shortcuts and uh, just really good uh, tour. So, um, you know, like I say, if you're looking through your Kentucky bourbon trail uh, through the website, you're not going to find these two particular distilleries. And there's other distilleries that are going to be the same that are, uh, I've listed a couple in the books that aren't on the trail and are worth checking out. A lot of people don't go to Western Kentucky, but there's some really interesting stories that are going on in some of these uh, Western Kentucky distilleries. And there's actually a mini trail out there where you can conquer the entire trail in one day. It's called the state line tour. And if you go to MB Roland and you go to Casey Jones and you go to in Tennessee, just across the border in Clarksville to Old Glory. That's the state line tour. And each one will give you a little shot glass with their logo on it. And when you get to the last one, they'll give you a, a stave to put your uh, whiskey glasses on. So it's a nice little quick way to do to conquer a tour um, instead of you know taking a You know, Mike, we need to get over there to, uh, to Western Kentucky and check that out yeah it's just right down the bluegrass parkway or right. western kentucky western parkway. Kentucky parkway. So, drew what's that last what's that last distillery so the last one is find the one that fits your personality find one there are again between history if you love history there are ones that are great for history if you love the process and you want to learn more about the process there are ones that are great for that or maybe there's a brand you just love and you've wanted to learn about it and learn more about it, that the great thing about going to the distillery is you will be closer to that whiskey that you love more, more intimate with it than you ever could be just by pouring a glass of it. Because when you can actually, um, pour that glass and it starts reminding you of the smell of the warehouse that you walked into, you know, and, and got that experience of it or, uh, you know, seeing the, the still that it came out of those things, I think add to the richness of the experience of, of drinking a whiskey um, and hearing those stories and hearing where they came from and why they made the whiskey, because every distiller started their distillery for some, as some kind of passion project. There's very few of them that I've heard say, well, we just got in it for the money. Most of them have a real desire to try to do something unique with whiskey. Absolutely. Well, Drew, it's been amazing to have you here on the show. We really enjoyed our time with you. We've had a couple of great whiskeys tonight. Absolutely. I certainly hope we get the opportunity to do this again in the near future. Same here. So next Same time here. you're coming through the area or maybe we're through your area, yeah. we'll hook up. We'll have a drink and uh, talk about good times. Perfect. I love it. I'd like to give you a few minutes to, to let everybody know where they can reach you, where they can find you on the Internet, on social media, uh, where they can get your book, those kind of things. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, and thanks for having me on the show. This is great. I, I enjoy listening to your show too. And, uh, picking up and hearing the people you talk to. I was listening actually today about one of your, um, uh, episodes where you were talking to, uh, the folks at, uh, Leaper's Fork, which I toured not too long ago. It's a great little distillery, fun, beautiful inside woodworking and, and all the rest. It's a fun place to visit. Um, 
So I love hearing that. And I love hearing the questions that you guys ask because as a podcaster, for me, you know, it's like, oh, what am I going to ask? What am I going to ask? And so it's fun to hear other people interacting and and kind of getting the uh, 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 getting deeper in and 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 drawing things out of the the guest that's on the show. So so it's always fun to hear that. Um, you can get my book, um, Experiencing Kentucky Bourbon. Uh, again, just look for Whiskey Lore on Amazon. It's available on there. I think it's on sale right now. Um, you can also buy it through my website, and I'm actually doing a November sale on that one. Uh, and that's at whiskey-lore.com. And that's where I'll also find my journal, which is my blog. And so I write about both Scotch whiskey and uh, and bourbon and I'm always looking at other whiskeys as well. I actually have a trip planned to Japan in February that I know isn't going to happen, but I will push that ticket further on. And cause I really want to learn about Japanese whiskey as well. And um, I'm mostly on Instagram, instagram.com slash whiskey lore, or you can find me at uh, I have a Facebook group and that is at uh, just do a search for whiskey lore under Facebook and you'll find my page and my, group there as well. And, uh, those are, those are the main places to, uh, reach out to me. Well, you can find us at the bourbon road on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Um, we also have a website, the bourbon road.com. I write a blog on there. We got some swag on there. Our whiskey glasses were up. Jim's actually wearing a bourbon road hat tonight. Ho- hopefully we'll have some bourbon road hats on there. Um, yeah, check out our website. We also have a private Facebook group called the bourbon roadies, which drew is a member of. Absolutely. And I'm sure after the show, if you guys pop in that, pop in there and send drew a message, he'll probably, uh, I will see it. Yes. He'll answer any questions you might have about the show today. The bourbon roadies is a private Facebook group. If you go to our Facebook page and you, and you look uh, on our page, you'll see a place for groups, and on there will be the Bourbon Roadies. We we just ask you a couple of questions. We want you to we want you to know you're getting yourself into a Bourbon group. We don't want any entries by mistake. And then uh, we want to make sure you're 21, and that you agree to play nice once you're in the group, because mm-hmm. we want all of our members to play nice and uh, lift each other up, not to knock each other down. So uh, we love to talk about whiskey in there. We love to take pictures of whiskey. We love to do reviews and share. The big thing is share, right, Mike? You know, that's the one of the things I love about our group so much. That's a little bit different than everybody else. There's a lot of whiskey going from place to place. Um, and each some people can only buy a bottle. Um, but, you know, a way to get to try different bottles is to share your whiskey with others. And you'll get some whiskey in return. Uh, if me and Jim send you some whiskey, just please don't send us whiskey back. We got plenty of people sending us whiskey. <laughs> We're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, send some send some whiskey to your fellow roadies out there in return. Uh, pay it forward, as I, as I like to say. And, uh, you know, it just makes that family we have a little bit better. Drew, man, it's been great having you on. Um, I, I got to say thank you for the book. Thank you for sharing your whiskey with us. Um like I said before, if you're a listener and you're looking for another podcast out there to get you on down the road, get you on down that bourbon road, you know, maybe you're traveling between distilleries or you're making a cross-country trip, put on Whiskey Lore, 
Um, I promise he won't put you to sleep. It'll keep you interested. The history, the backstory of distilleries in America, in Scotland, in Ireland, and hopefully his trip to Japan. I guarantee you'll like it. If not, come knock on my door um, and we we can talk about it. <laughs> In the meantime, if you need to reach out to me or Mike, I'm Shannon 63 on Instagram. I'm One Big Chief. And we will see you down the Bourbon Road. appreciate all of our listeners and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the bourbon road we hope you enjoyed today's show and if so we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five star with a review on itunes make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at the bourbon road that way you'll be kept in the loop on all the bourbon road happenings you can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog listen to the show or reach out to us directly We always welcome comments or suggestions. And if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us.